Josh Ose is a senior technology strategist at Mozilla and the executive director of the Internet Security Research Group. Josh, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks. Happy to be here. What is the Internet Security Research Group? So we need an organization to host Let's Encrypt. And we created Internet Security Research Group in, I think, May of 2013. And it's the, it's the company behind Let's Encrypt. Okay, so I guess we should go ahead and start talking about Let's Encrypt. Um, as you said, the ISRG is the group behind Let's Encrypt. Describe the high-level goals of Let's Encrypt. So we want to make TLS this, the default on the web. It's time to move past accepting HTTP for so many websites. You know, when you browse the web, you come up to an HTTP-only website, and your browser doesn't act like there's too much wrong with that, even though it's sending all of all of this information about your interaction out in the clear over the web. And it's time for the web to move past that and have TLS be the standard. So we looked at what was most what was preventing people from moving to TLS, and the number one problem was obtaining and managing certificates. So we wanted to do something about that, and we started planning Let's Encrypt. So before we talk about the certificate management process, let's motivate this a little more. What are the actual differences between HTTP and TLS? So HTTP is just spoken in the clear. So your browser puts together some headers and the and the content that it wants to send, and it sends it to a website. The, the website sends data back. And anybody watching this data flow over the wire can read it. It's just text, basically. Um, HTTPS is a secure form of HTTP, and it uses something called TLS. So it's an encryption layer on top of the HTTP. And if you're using TLS, people watching the wire won't be able to read uh, what you're talking about. How hard is it to watch a wire like you're referring to? So there are a couple ways that people do this. So one way is to sit, for example, in a coffee shop and watch wireless traffic. So if you're on a wireless traffic, a wireless network, you can often see what other wireless data is going over that network, and you can read it. And a while ago, there was, for an example, an attack called Fire Sheep, where people were doing just that, sitting in, in coffee shops and watching people's Facebook cookies come by and being able to get into their Facebook data. Uh, Facebook responded by switching to HTTPS, and there's no more, no more snooping. Another pretty well-documented case is you know, the government surveillance programs, where they work with ISPs and telecoms to to conduct mass surveillance, just pull down data off the, you know, connection points for the internet. Great. So we'll talk more about the um, the societal and cultural implications of security later on. But I guess we should talk a little bit more about Let's Encrypt and what it actually is, what it does. So Let's Encrypt is a new certificate authority. What is a certificate authority? So if you want to have a if you want to set up a secure website there's sort of two components to a secure connection. One is encryption and one is authentication. 
And on the web today, you need both in order to communicate securely. So the encryption component is all about scrambling the data before it gets sent over the wire. So in order to do that, you know, your browser and the website agree on some cryptographic keys, and they send data to each other using these keys. But you also need to make sure that the, the website you're exchanging keys with and, and talking to is the website that you think it is. And that's the authentication portion of the secure communications. And that is accomplished on the web using certificates. And certificates are given out by certificate authorities. So when you want to get a certificate, you need to select a certificate authority, figure out what kind of certificate you want to get, um, and go get one. And that certificate will make an assertion about uh, your website. And depending on the kind of certificate that you get, the assertion might be different. So Let's Encrypt issues something called a DV certificate, which is domain validation. And what our certificates assert is that your cryptographic public key belongs to a certain domain. And that's all a DV cert asserts. There are other types of certificates that assert things like the name of your organization or other organizational details. Uh, we don't do that. Those involve quite a bit of manual work and are typically more expensive, and it's not possible to automate issuance of those. But it is possible for us to prove you know, reliably enough that a, a public key does belong to a domain. So that's, that's what we do as a certificate authority. We take a request for a certificate. We validate the assertions that our certificate is going to make, and in this case, that's that a public key belongs to a certain domain, and then we issue a certificate. Prior to Let's Encrypt, what have been the steps to turning on HTTPS for a website? So first, you need to figure out what you need to do, which isn't all that obvious. And at some point, you're going to realize that you need a certificate. So you need to go select a certificate authority. There's a lot of them out there. It's pretty hard to decide why you should pick one over the other. Then you need to figure out what kind of certificate you want. It's also fairly complicated. There's three choices. Different CAs use different names for those three choices. Um, pretty unclear. So then once you select a kind of certificate, <laughs> you need to go through a validation process, which sometimes involves writing emails for the you know, OV and EV, the more comprehensive certificates. You may have to submit documents, you know, articles of incorporation, things like that. And then once you've gone through this validation process, then you need to get your certificate from the CA. You probably need to pay a lot of CA, you know, most of the time you're paying for a certificate. And then you need to install your SSL certificate, which is also unfortunately not that easy to do. So <laughs> the internet is rife with complaints about misconfigured certificates. Um, that's, that's most of what you need to do. And so for people who may have lost track the objective of Let's Encrypt is to make it possible to set up an HTTPS server and have it automatically obtain a browser-trusted certificate without human intervention, without payment, um, without sending emails. So how is this accomplished? How 
like how um, I know you've gone through some of these steps already, but um, specify the these improvements that you've made in the protocol that uh, allow you to avoid this human intervention. Yeah, so we need a, a certificate issuance protocol that can be entirely implemented in software, entirely automated. So we created a protocol called ACME, which stands for Automated Certificate Management Environment. And you can use an ACME client to submit a request for a certificate. The server will send challenges back to your web server. Your web server has to set itself up to meet those challenges. Then it will tell our CA that you're ready to meet those challenges and we'll check to make sure that you have met them, that your server is able to do the things that it should be able to do to demonstrate control. And if you do demonstrate control and we verify that, we'll then send a certificate back to your web server. So at a, at a high level, that's it. Um, you know, an important part of this is not having billing involved. Part of that is to make... Part of it is to eliminate financial barriers, but a big part of it is also, you know, you can't automate a billing interaction. So that alone is, a, you know, the original reason why we needed to make this stuff free. We just can't have a billing interaction in there. Uh, otherwise, it, it complicates things too much. You could use Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, you'd still have to point out where the Bitcoins are coming from, I think. That's true. Um, Presumably, you don't have them laying around on your server, right? Um, so, you know, there's some acronyms here. We've got HTTPS, TLS, and SSL. Um, and TLS is superior to SSL. And I, I, I think it would be useful for the listeners to disambiguate these different terms. Yeah, it is a little complicated. Every time I write something about this stuff, I have to decide whether to use one term or the other. So SSL is the original protocol. I believe it was invented by Netscape, but you know, my history may not be totally correct. So SSL was the original protocol. I think it got up to SSL 3.0, and then... The next version of SSL was called TLS for some reason. Um, so then TLS 1.0 is the successor to SSL 3. And SSL 3 is thankfully not widely in use on the web anymore because it has some pretty significant security vulnerabilities in it. But essentially SSL is just the old versions of TLS. So we should really be switching over to the term TLS these days, but SSL is such a popularized term that people, including myself, often use it to just refer to either SSL or TLS. So the the transport layer, so TLS stands for transport layer security. The transport layer is just one layer of the networking stack. Why is it important to focus on security specifically at this layer? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go into a deep dive on, <laughs> on networking layers at the moment. It's been a while since I looked into that. But, you know, you want you want a layer of security that encompasses the right data. So you want it to be around your application data. Mm. Um, there are other places where people sometimes use encryption to IPsec 
would be at the IP layer, things like that. I, you know, TLS. I don't know. I don't know if I can give you a complete answer to this question That's right fine. now. I'm, I'm sure, sorry. I'm sure there's some listener out there. He's got a great opportunity to he or she can send an email or answer in the comments and I'll add it to the show notes or something. Sounds good. So every browser and server and data center supports TLS. So why are applications still using SSL? I think, you know, company companies in particular build up complex IT infrastructures and they have requirements to be compatible with a number of clients. Sometimes there are even client devices. And, you know, if the clients don't get software updates to use something past SSL3, then the servers can't drop it. You know, you don't see it that often anymore. Where you do see SSL3 still out there is often big institutions, you know, banking, things like that. Places that move pretty slowly. So Let's Encrypt is free and automated and open. Why Why is this combination of features so important? Yeah, well, I talked a little bit about free already, you know, we don't want people to not get certificates because they're not able to pay. But maybe even more importantly, you can't automate a billing interaction. We wouldn't want somebody to be running our certificate software and all of a sudden it stops working because you didn't update your credit card. Um, so that's the free part. Automated, you know, if, if we're going to make the entire web use TLS, it's really got to be simple. It is way too complicated today. And simple means automated. We can't have systems administrators constantly doing manual tasks to keep TLS working. Uh, it's a big reason why TLS hasn't taken over already, and we got to get there. So openness is important. You know, if people are going to trust us, so if everyone is going to use TLS, people need to trust their certificate authority. And the way to gain trust is through openness. So, Does that refer to open source or open communication or what exactly? All of the above. So our software is open source. You know, people have questions about the quality of our software. They can come look at it themselves. Um, we try to be really open about our communication and how we do things. You know, we publish every certificate we issue to certificate transparency so people can see exactly what certificates we're issuing and to who. And uh, it we need to be as open as possible up and down the stack so that people can trust us. Does the pre-existing system have some lack of transparency? Yeah, a lot of certificate authorities don't publish all of their certificates. Um, you know, there have been some issues recently with Symantec, for example, where they discovered a lot of certificates that they shouldn't have issued. And nobody knew about it for a while because, you know, they weren't publishing the certificate transparency. Oh, are these like certificates um, to malware sites? Well, I'm not sure they were malware. I think, you know, the biggest one that people saw were some certificate. I believe there was a certificate for Google.com out there, which is obviously not a good thing. Why not? Well, Google should really know about all the certificates that are out there for their domain. If, if somebody misissues a a certificate for any site, really, you know, Google aside, they can go around and pretend to be your site. Oh, I see. So, 
you could end up at a website that is claiming to be Google.com and has a certificate saying, you know, this is the correct encryption key, but the data can really be decrypted by someone other than Google. Wow. I, didn't, I mean, in the case of Semantic, I don't think that anybody was actually doing that, but that certificate should never have been issued. Well, how would that how would that actually happen? Could you like explain some steps where like a some kind of phishing or man in the middle attack can lead to somebody on a page with some invalid? I mean, some valid but uh, malicious Google certificate. Like, how would that phishing attack take place in practice? Well, in order to end up on a site with a bad certificate, you'd have to get a CA to misissue the certificate. Um, there's you know, probably a lot of ways to do that. Most of them are fairly difficult. I don't think misissuance is, is all that common. Um, you know, I don't want to pick on semantic. They're they're not the only certificate authority that's had this, you know. Sure. And if you if you if you issue certificates for a long enough time, you know, I think you know nobody wants to admit it, but everybody's got mistakes that happen. There's there's sure. bugs in so- there's I, I, bugs in software, you know, employees. Yeah, I was just curious. Is like you know, you get an email from I don't know somebody in Nigeria or something, Pakistan, and and it turns out to be like a, a and not to pick on Nigeria or Pakistan, um, but like you know, you click on it and it takes you to a fake version of Google dot com, and then malicious things start to take place. Or I was just trying to think of like what's an attack vector where that actually you know yeah. captures Typic- somebody. Typically, phishing sites don't actually have valid certificates for the domain they're pretending to be. Right. You know, more often they they get a, cert- a valid certificate for a don- domain that kind of looks like the domain that they're phishing for. So you might get, for example, you know, Facebook.com.example.com, and people just see the first part of the domain and think, oh, Facebook.com. But it's actually under example.com. Oh, okay. I see. I was reading the Let's Encrypt blog, and one post said, the keys and certificates that will underlie Let's Encrypt have been generated. This was done during a key ceremony at a secure facility. What is a key ceremony? Yeah, so we have... So when you're uh, running a PKI system, you're using... The pub PKI, by the way, is public key infrastructure, which is you know the term that covers what CAs do. You you need to generate public and private keys. So Let's Encrypt has a root key, and there's a public and a private key for that. So when so the root key is really is what we use to sign everything that's used to sign. The certificates that we give out, and that that key needs to be generated very carefully and in a very secure way. So, we set up a ceremony. So we write a script, and the script details in a very detailed way all the steps that are going to be taken, every command that's going to be executed, every cable that's going to get plugged in. It, it's very detailed, and that uh, that script is, and you know, we do a lot of work on it to make sure that it's correct, and then. There's a ceremony on a certain day, and a bunch of people sit in a room, you know, maybe four or five people, and they're, you know, some of them are executing the script, and some of them are witnessing to make sure that everything is happening in the right way, and no extra steps are being taken, things like that. So, you know, there's other precautions. The the room is sealed off so that nobody can see into the room. 
you know, there's nothing but the audit camera running. So people aren't, you know, recording anything besides that. Um, there should be no interference or observation of the, of the key ceremony outside of the people who are supposed to be there. Hmm. And during the key ceremony, we generate the keys on something called an HSM, which is a hardware security module. And that's a, you know, it's a special computer that will generate a public and a private key, but it will never reveal the private key, even through software. There's just no way to get this thing to tell you what the private key is. It will do operations with the private key once it's generated, but you can't get the private key out of it. And, you know, these are fairly expensive little boxes, but they're, but they're pretty useful and, you know, Almost all CAs use them or definitely should be using them. And it makes it really, really hard to steal a private key. Um, I won't say impossible, but very difficult. So if somebody were to compromise our systems, you know, even if they could take control of the HSM, they could you know, perform operations with our private key, but they wouldn't be able to actually take a copy of the private key out. Fascinating. So on October 19th, Let's Encrypt became entrusted by all major web browsers. What is the process to getting trusted by web browsers? So web browsers contain a list of root keys that they trust. So these are the keys that we just talked about generating. And the the browsers only trust certificates that are generated under one of those roots and signed ultimately by one of those roots. So the if you want to be trusted by, if you want your certificates to be trusted by a browser, there has to be a chain of trust back to the browser. So the certificate on your website has to be signed by a certificate that is either in the browser root or signed by a certificate that is it itself has been signed. You know, there can be a chain there back to the roots in the browser, but there has to be a successful chain from your certificate back to something that trusts the browser. Mm. So in the case of Let's Encrypt our root keys have signed some intermediate keys, two of them in particular. And then we issue certificates to websites with those two intermediate keys. So there's a chain from your certificate back to our intermediates and then up to the browser. And what it means when we became trusted in our case is not that our root keys are in browsers because that's going to take a while. That's going to take years for our root keys to be in enough browsers you know, that people can use it. But we had another company called Identrust who already has a root key in the browser. They use their key to issue a certificate that says that our intermediates are trusted. So there's a chain from a Let's Encrypt certificate to the Let's Encrypt intermediates and then up to the Identrust root. I understand. Um, are there any single points of failure in the Let's Encrypt security model? <laughs> Um, I'm maybe not insured, entirely sure what you mean by that, but um, you know we're pretty careful to make sure there's layers of security. You know, I, w- I won't be able to describe all of them here, but you know we we work very hard to make sure that our software is secure and that our infrastructure is secure. And you know, even if someone could get into one layer of it, there's other layers. So zooming out to a broader perspective, um, I'm curious what you think are the big problems with with modern network security, like both from a from a policy perspective, like how companies carry out their network security policies, 
uh, and maybe even from a governmental perspective and from like an implementation perspective, like what are the technological issues? I know that's a really meaty, heavy question. Um, yeah, that's a big question. Um, you can answer it to whatever granularity you like, but I imagine there are, you know, some, some things that you keep coming back to that you keep thinking about. Yeah. I think people at a policy level continue to undervalue encryption you know, there there's still a lot of people out there who will say, you know, what do websites, you know, what do what do all websites need encryption for? You know, why don't we just use it when we have to send a credit card or a social security number or, or something like that? I think people underestimate the amount of data that can be gleaned by looking at network traffic, and I think it's I think it's time that people understand that encryption needs to be the needs to be deployed almost everywhere. Um, you know, even metadata, you can construct a pretty good picture of what someone is doing just with metadata. And you see this a lot with, you know, the Snowden documents and government, things like that, but also, you know, social networks, things like that. What are the forms of malware and phishing attacks that you see the most these days, that you think about the most? Well, I, like you, get emails from people trying to get me click on things I shouldn't click on. You know, it, that's by far the most common, I think, and the only one that I regularly see, you know. Are, are you aware of other, I mean, do you have other things in mind? Um, no, not specifically, but um, I wanted to use that as a segue to talking about what the role of a certificate authority plays in fighting or preventing malware or phishing? I see. So, you know, we talked a little bit before about the fact that certificates make assertions. So the assertion that our certificates at Let's Encrypt make is that a certain cryptographic public key is associated with a domain. And that's, that's what the certificate says. Um, we're, we're really not set up to monitor content continuously and try to decide when something is a phishing site or when something is a malware site. You know, that is a huge task, and there are only a few organizations that are really capable of doing that well. You know, Google and Microsoft come to mind. So CAs, you know, they're they're not asserting typically that sites are not you know, malware or phishing sites. There, there are definitely CAs out there who go to great lengths to try to assert that. And, you know, there's some debate as to whether they're really able to do that. But I think at the end of the day, certificate authorities are just not equipped to do that and not not the right layer at which to be trying to police con- uh, content like phishing and malware. A commonly expressed concern is that Malware sites can have a valid HTTPS certificate, which could give visitors a false sense of security. What are the steps to, like, in what in what cases could a malware site end up with an HTTPS certificate? Like, in what what measures need to be in place to prevent bad actors from acquiring a certificate? So, you know, 
websites can, websites can shop certificate authorities to get certificates, right? So if if you have a malicious website and one certificate authority won't give you a certificate, you can just go to a different certificate authority that will. So it, it's not so hard, I don't think, for for phishing sites to get certificates. Um, you know, it really doesn't matter how good a particular CA is at preventing phishing. It really matters how good is the worst CA. So I think the bottom line is that phishing and malware sites are going to end up with certificates one way or another. And I think the crux of the issue here is is how browsers represent the value of a certificate. So, you know, when a site has a basic DV certificate, you'll see a, a, typically a lock in a web browser. And this really comes down to the question of, you know, what do what do users of web browsers infer from seeing a lock in their URL bar? So do they think that the lock just means there's an encryption being used, or do they think that the lock means that just everything on this website is safe? You know, you can click on anything, do anything, and it's totally safe because there's a lock there. Um, I mean, obviously the latter there is not true. Um, a, a lock doesn't mean that you know everything on a website is safe. It you know, in most cases, really just means that the data over the wire is being encrypted. So, you know, I think I think browsers have a pretty hefty challenge to try to figure out how to present UI for this stuff. I do think that a lot of users don't pay too much attention to the lock. You know, they they see the lock often enough that it just becomes something they gloss over. There are some users who do look at it, but I think a lot of them don't. So when that's the case, I don't think that a lock for a phishing site matters that much. I think I think browsers are going to have to move to a point where encryption is required, but it doesn't necessarily show you a lock that might over-represent the situation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so are we talking about like a gradient, like a rusty lock, and then like a, a lock, and then like a really big lock, or like a tank or I something? Mean, off the top of my head, I, I guess I would just say nothing, right? Like when you visit an HTTP site, there are certain security guarantees being made about that website, mm. and it, you know, but you're not seeing a lock. I think probably in the future, the lock is going to have to go away or be replaced by something more fine-grained so that... TLS is just the expectation. It's just what every website has, and you don't see a lock. So HTTPS starts to look like HTTP in the future. Mm. I think you know where a certificate does verify an organization's name. So when you, for example, see the name of a website next to the lock in your browser, that means the certificate is verifying the name of the organization. Maybe you'll see the name in the future, but just a basic certificate, a DV certificate, you know, probably probably should not be overrepresented with a lot because I think the people who do pay attention to that do put a bit too much stock in it. Um, mm. Encrypting the traffic over the wire is a really, really important part of security and privacy, but it doesn't say a lot about the content of a website. And I... I think that's why browser makers are really pushing, you know, safe browsing or, you know, phishing detection in the browser. So there's a a different feature of browsers that, you know, a lot of people have turned on where the browser sort of separately from the from the lock and certificates is verifying the contents of a website. And those those 
features typically rely on phishing programs like Google and Microsoft. And those are, you know, pretty big programs. You know, they're scraping a lot of content on the web very often. They're really keeping track of what's out there. They've got a lot of people behind them helping to decide what's phishing and what's malware. And that's, you know, that's, those are the people who are doing a great job of, of checking content on websites. And that information can be delivered to browsers much more effectively through a safe browsing feature. Or I, I believe, you know, trying to remember what Microsoft calls their, their feature. It's not in my head right now, but, you know, it's much better to, to rely on those features to check for phishing and malware than it is to rely on what, what certificates, you know, whether they say, what they say or whether they exist or not. So I, I saw an editorial today was on medium somebody was talking about how they thought that twitter and facebook were degrading the uh the promises of an open internet um but one thing i think about when when i'm you know talking with you is like um you know in the open internet model uh it's kind of the wild west and like in some sense the walled gardens of facebook and twitter and linkedin um you know these these places are a more forgiving environment for for new internet users. Um, uh, it's I don't know, and it makes me think about like you know people criticizing this internet.org stuff that sort of frames uh, Facebook as as the portal as the the you know, the go to portal for the internet. Um, but it, yeah, I don't know. It makes me it makes me think about this stuff. Um, do you have any strong uh, feelings about? The, the future of the internet being um, more open or more uh, or or more walled gardenish. Well, you know, there's trade-offs for everything, right? You know, walled walled gardens certainly do offer some advantages, right? That you can really work on curation and controlling content, and that can that can definitely make things safer. But it comes off with with trade-offs too, right? It it limits input into a system. You know, can have data lock-in, things like that. So there's trade-offs to everything. Um, I do think that net neutrality, for example, is very important. I think it, it would be a great loss to the Internet if we, if we didn't have net neutrality. So is net neutrality, like, do you see that as a very binary thing, or do you see it as a gradient? I think where it becomes a gradient, things get... <laughs> you know, it becomes a slippery slope very, very quickly. Um, I mean, it isn't necessarily binary, but it, uh, yeah, people get onto that slippery slope very quickly. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, let's let's talk some about the uh, the the broader security picture. Um, I had a conversation with Vince Surf, and he was he was very worried about the uh the attack vectors that emerge as we move towards the internet of things like he was very worried about um like refrigerators like internet connected refrigerators attacking a bank like being used being used as ddos uh vectors and i'm wondering if if you see any big challenges in the future for network security uh as things change like as more internet connected devices emerge yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't work in Internet of Things, so you know, I'm, I'm no expert there. <laughs> I, I do get the impression, as many other people do, that security 
you know, has not been well enough thought out for the Internet of Things. Mm. But there's a lot of work to do. I, I think it's a genuinely difficult problem, so I'm not saying that people don't necessarily have the priorities right, but it's a difficult problem. I mean, the, you're, you're often talking about very resource-constrained devices, and, you know, security security has a cost. It costs CPU cycles, costs memory. There's some complexity there. And I... I think I think IoT is a young field, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure most people are aware that security is important. But I, th- I think it's a young field that's going to require a lot of work to figure out how to how to secure that. So Let's Encrypt is being worked on by ISRG, like you mentioned, which is basically created in order to be the kind of overshadowing group of Let's Encrypt. And the ISRG includes Mozilla and Cisco and Akamai and some other organizations. Have any organizations explicitly opted out of the ISRG? Uh, no. Okay. You mean has a sponsor left? No. Okay. All right. So, well, I was just curious if, like, you ever went to a sponsor and you're like, hey, do you want to be part of this encryption thing? And they said, no, we have a vested interest in the current network stack. We're not... We're not interested in joining. Like, did that happen? Uh, not really. You know, we have obviously had had sponsors not join the project, but typically it, it's a financial issue. Um, ah. The response has been pretty overwhelmingly positive. It's hard to find someone out there who doesn't <laughs> think that we should, you know, make encryption the standard on the internet. It's just a question of, you know, how to do it and where's the money going to come from. Sure. The ISRG has a collaboration with the Linux Foundation. What are the similarities in ethos between ISRG and the Linux Foundation? Yeah, I think the Linux Foundation, you know, they've been a they've been a great partner so far, but really helpful. I think they understand the value of openness. Um, you know, they have a lot of experience with Linux. That's another community that's fairly open. They, you know, from open source software to sort of the Nonprofit and corporate aspects. So, yeah, they they're really on the same page with us about openness, open source, transparency. What are the bottlenecks to widespread adoption of Let's Encrypt? So, you need to have a certain level of privileges to set up certificates on your server. I think the biggest bottleneck is that people don't have the ability to do that. So there's a lot of people on, you know, hosted or managed, you know, they have hosting plans that are managed for them. So they're not able to get the permissions on the server to go in there with the command line and install things. So, you know, where people are are able to do that, it's pretty easy to get a certificate set up through Let's Encrypt, but a lot of people just don't have that access to their web server. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to wait for their hosting provider to give them support. So one of the one of the big things that we want to see happen is hosting providers, you know, integrating Let's Encrypt so that all of their customers can turn on TLS for their websites or just turning it on for them. So th- that's where we're really going to get a lot of users. You know, there's only so many people who are administering their own server out there. And if we're going to get the entire web enc- encrypted, you know, the bulk of our subscribers are going to come from major hosting services that turn on support for Let's Encrypt. Mm. And getting them to do that is probably the biggest, you know, impediment to adoption for us. 
Let's Encrypt will enter public beta on December 3rd. What will happen on December 3rd? So right now we're in a limited beta, and what that means is you have to sign up, and then you have to get approved, and then we'll send an email inviting you to get certificates. And when you're approved, we're putting the domains that you want to get certificates for on a whitelist. So in order to get a certificate, you have to be on that whitelist. On December 3rd, the whitelist comes down. No more whitelist. Anyone can just apply to get a certificate. Okay, interesting. Um, so you mentioned some concerns about uh, the NSA or you know the just government uh, kind of degradation of privacy rights um, early on in this conversation. Do you have any strong feelings about that? And do you feel like stronger encryption can uh, can help maintain privacy? You know, I do think unlawful mass surveillance programs shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and that's not just about, you know, the U.S. or the NSA. That's that's much bigger than just the United States, right? Lots of other governments and entities engage in that sort of behavior. Um, you know, encryption makes that stuff more expensive. It raises the price, right? If all that data is just unencrypted, flowing across the lines, you basically just have to record it. Just send it off to a hard drive and you're done. If everything's encrypted that becomes much, much more expensive to carry out mass surveillance. So it's, you know, ideally will force law enforcement in any country or, you know, anybody trying to carry out mass surveillance to, you know, really focus on the people that they should be (laughs) trying to focus on. How did you become passionate about network security? How did you get interested in this topic? Um... I used to I used to manage the networking team at Mozilla and I didn't know a ton about networking when I started at Mozilla but I I learned a lot more by the end and you know thinking through the I thought a lot about the impact that we were having right so when we added a feature to Firefox for example how how much did that really help people and you know adding stuff to a web browser doesn't necessarily matter if if servers don't help out. And at a higher level, I just realized at a certain point that people really don't have control over their data anymore. You know, what's going on inside a web browser is so complicated. It's really hard to know how your data is being treated. You know, is there mixed content? Are you using SSL? Are you not using SSL? What other security policies are in place for a web page? And what does that mean? People just have no idea anymore. Trying to trying to control their data, it, it's just out of their hands. So if if we're going to give some control back, the really the only way to do that is to treat everyone's data all the time as if it matters. Mm-hmm. Like that, we need to take care of it. We need to respect it, and that means making security simple enough that it's just on by default. So when you go to a website. You know, you shouldn't have to worry about whether the browser might be sending your data in the clear or not. The browser should just not do it. Just don't do it ever. Just refuse to do it, you know. That, that's where we've got to go. And, you know, Let's Encrypt was the best thing I could think of to get us there. It was the best thing I could think of doing that would really protect people in, in, at a very large scale, you know. Are there any other initiatives that you foresee emerging from the ISRG? 
You know, right now we're really focused on Lots Encrypt. You know, people kick kick ideas around, but the reality is, you know, we gotta we gotta get this service up and running and make sure it's running really well before we start thinking about what we might want to do next. Great. Well, Josh Ose, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's been really interesting talking to you about Let's Encrypt, and I'll be watching the project closely. Great. Thanks for having me.